Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome into another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I'm Bennett Conlin, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick and a special guest. Jack, do you want to introduce our our wonderful guest. We haven't had a guest in a while. Well, I mean, this guest is um, was mistaken for me all during our sports communication <laughs> class. Um, so I ended up with six absences, and so did he. But we'll look past that. Um, well, today five of them were because of me, <laughs> admittedly. Um, so today we have Matt Wyrick of the wait. Is it the reason reasonably outrageous podcast or the outrageously reasonable podcast? <laughs> Honestly, both work, but we are we're technically reasonably outrageous. Uh, Blake Pace and I, a fellow uh, Duke, or at least recently graduated Duke, uh, have a podcast that we're supposed to be doing three times a week, but uh, with everything that's been going on, haven't been super active, but I think we're going to come back to y'all Wednesday, so it's tomorrow. Grab Where can they find you on the tweeter? Yes. At Matt Weirich. Uh Last name is W-E-Y-R-I-C-H, so... I mostly tweet about the Nats, so if you're you're into that, you're into baseball at all. Um, but no, there be there's the occasional JMU sports tweet somewhere buried in the masses. So very true, very true. And we're going to talk JMU softball today, and Matt is qualified to talk about <laughs> JMU softball. He Apparently. did lots of Matt his own things. Was the sports editor of the Breeze with me his sophomore year, and then the editor in chief. So he's a pretty huge deal around here. Big ego, but good guy as well. He's very knowledgeable. <laughs> I plead the fifth on that one. Man. I think this is the roast of yeah. Matt right now. We're coming at him for missing classes and his ego. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> I set myself <laughs> up for it. What can I say? First 20 minutes, we'll just go off of Matt. Yeah. Okay, Matt beautiful. I can, okay, easy. Yeah, so the main softball storyline for JMU, they did not get a seed. <gasps> so they'll be in the Ann Arbor Regional playing 15th seed in Michigan, and then DePaul and St. Francis are also in that little regional, but kind of afterthoughts a little bit. We can get into that later. But Matt, you've covered the team a lot. We'll start with you. Were you surprised that they didn't get a seed? Yes and no. I mean, you know, JMU is obviously not a Power 5 school, and that certainly in maybe some other sports will count against it, but it's been a perennial contender in softball for the better part of the last 10 years. Uh, so any reasonable softball expert, which I assume those are the people who are putting together <laughs> these rankings, you know, <laughs> I don't know uh, exactly what the qualifications are to get on that panel. But assuming they've watched softball over the past 10 years, you have to know about James Madison, uh, particularly the power of its pitching uh, just in years past. I mean, Jamie's had some outstanding pitching staffs. I think it just wrapped up. I want to say it's eighth straight year of a sub three ERA. So, uh, you know, that's that's always been a strength of JMU. But I think. Uh, what really counted against it was the conference overall. Mm-hmm. The CAA was just a really weak group this year. I mean, I think we might have mistaken it that JMU run ruled every team it played in the CAA tournament. Yes. Um, yeah. Mistaken. So, yeah. Yep, it did. It did. So, uh, I mean, obviously playing Elon twice in that was, was a factor there, but you know, overall, you know, it really didn't have super tough competition and JMU also struggled early on in the season prior to conference play. Uh, lost to a few ranked teams at the time, uh, most notably Kentucky, uh, also fell to Minnesota and Arizona and Arizona State, uh, all within the first two, three weeks of the season. Uh, so that kind of set it back a little bit. And 
I get how Jamie fans are mad. I mean, one, they can't go out to the games. Uh, the fact that the regionals aren't being hosted in Harrisonburg certainly hurts because Jamie's home record of 24 and one this year is absolutely sparkling. And you'd think Jamie would be the absolute favorite to move on if it did uh, host a regional, but all things considered, they're playing a 15 seed Michigan, uh, which is the second lowest of all the seeded teams, the 16th being the lowest. Uh, so that's a pretty light setting right there. Plus, Jamie beat Michigan earlier back in March, uh, three to nothing in a uh, shortened game. No, extended game went to extra innings, uh, nine inning game there uh, back on March the 7th. So, you know, yes, it does suck for JMU that the Dukes weren't able to host a regional, and that certainly hurts as most of the team's losses did come on the road against ranked opponents such as Michigan, not including Michigan, but you know other teams of that caliber. But at the same time, the field that JMU has to face in this first round is obviously pretty light. Uh, and I think that's going to play in the Duke's favor. Now, of course, JMU, if it does move on, would have to play UCLA in the next round, which is number two seed in the conference. That hurts, definitely. Um, but at least getting out of the first round is really not a terrible draw. We can just end the podcast now. It was perfect. <laughs> One, two, three, break. <laughs> Beautiful. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Jack. Do you have any additional thoughts um, on that? Well, I, each time I had a thought, um, Matt covered it. But I, but <laughs> I think the main problem, because JMU fans, you've seen it on Twitter. You've seen it everywhere. They've tried to rationalize this draw of the thing kind of like, <laughs> yeah, well, we didn't get seated, but we will be, play, be playing a Mich- – I'm trying to find him in the bracket. We'll be playing a Michigan team that is 15th seated and, and this, and then we will have to play UCLA, blah, blah, blah. I think the biggest thing, though, I think Bennett brought it up in one of his tweets that night, that fateful night, was that Michigan's undefeated at home, and they're a different beast in Ann Arbor. And now JMU's going to have to go on the road and face this tough Michigan team at home. And JMU is – oh, never mind. They're only 13-3 and three away. I, I, I rest my case. They're going to just have to face a tough Michigan team at home. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be a tough draw. Michigan's a really good team, and – as Matt mentioned, it took JMU nine innings to beat them the first time. Neither team scored through the first eight innings, and JMU ended up winning three to zero. The one positive that I do see is that they haven't really seen Megan Good. She came in for the save in that game, but only used five pitches to get through an inning. So, I mean, they've seen her for five pitches, which I think is a solid advantage for JMU, just knowing that, that Megan hasn't really pitched against them. So she has a, a good chance to maybe sneak up on them, at least at the beginning. They obviously know who she is but have not seen her live. So that's a positive. But Jack, like you said, I think the fans with some of the takes were kind of funny. Just like, all right, we didn't get seated. We're just going to go out there. We're going to take names and beat everybody, beat UCLA. We're in the women's college world series and win that. It's like, well, that's, that's not really how it works. Like you did lose the seed, which in my opinion is a pretty big deal just because Michigan's so good at home. I think it definitely hurts them. um, and puts them at a disadvantage. I would say Michigan's probably the slight favorite in my opinion, going into the weekend. Um, but, but yeah, I think it's, it's a little premature to say that I saw some people saying that JMU was going to go out and they were going to run rule Michigan <laughs> in every, every game and go through it. And, you know, that's, that's not really realistic. It took yeah. them nine innings the first time. And I just don't know that that's really makes any sense. The last time they played a team who was sort of in that ranked team quality, they lost to Virginia tech 12 to nothing. So JMU is still a really good team, but they also have some flaws and they're certainly beatable. So I don't think it's, you know, a given that they're going to run rule Michigan and, and sort of roll through the bracket. Um, and I do think it's a bit of a snob. I read some article on Softball America where they quoted the selection committee chair, and she had some kind of perplexing <laughs> comments. So she said that 
<laughs> she doesn't or the committee doesn't value like conferences too much. So they try to make sure that they aren't giving someone an advantage for being in a certain conference, which, well, that's just not really true, which is okay, but it's not really true. And they also, she said that JMU's schedule wasn't, wasn't, I think the quote was visually balanced. Yeah, that was, the, so yeah. at the big, at the beginning of the year, they're playing ranked teams. They got some ranked wins and some ranked losses, like Matt said. And then at the end of the year, it's all CAA teams. So that sort of contradicts the first quote, because if you play in the CAA, your schedule is never going to be visually balanced because you've got Elon and Delaware and Drexel and Towson and all these teams that just aren't that good at the end of your schedule. And you're not going to bring in realistically a lot of SEC non-conference games in the middle of the week. Um, so it's, it's kind of hard to be visually balanced if you're a mid-major, but I would say it's a snub, but I do sort of understand the power five bias and the SEC bias and that sort of stuff. So it makes a little bit of sense. And I think Ann Arbor, that regional is going to be very difficult. Um, so Matt, I guess we're going to start to you start with you. What do you think needs to go right for JMU to get out of the regional? Well, you know, I think the, the problem last year was pitching, uh, which like I said earlier in the pod, I mean, that's always been a strength of JMU, right. And a big, focus coming into this year was this three-headed monster of Megan Good, Odyssey Alexander, and Peyton Burrish, uh, which with Megan out last year, Peyton, who was a freshman, really stepped up, won CAA Rookie of the Year, uh, and, you know, really just kind of blew expectations out of the water. Now, she got relegated to a reserve role. She's not starting very much. Had a couple of uh, appearances here and there this year, but really didn't pitch all that much. And the thing with her at the end of the year was that she ran out of gas. And the same happened for Odyssey. And a big thing with them run ruling a lot of teams this year as they didn't do as much last year. That's less innings that came uh, as a toll on Odyssey. Uh, overall, last year she pitched 225 and a third innings. Uh, I believe that set the JMU record for most innings pitched in a season. She took a massive step back in that workload this year, just 134 uh, and two thirds. So her legs are a lot more fresh. And I think that's really important because they just JMU's kind of ran out of steam. I mean, you play 50 games in a season, that's going to happen. Uh, especially when you're traveling so much in that first month, uh, you know, that can set you back and Megan good, obviously coming off of uh, a knee injury, having to, you know, rehab that she kind of at first pitching wise, wasn't all the way caught up, uh, but she's been able to really get her legs underneath her throughout the season, get more comfortable in the circle. And it looks to me that JMU, you know, obviously coming into the seat, coming into the tournament with uh, what is it? 19 game winning streak. Yep. 19 games. Yeah. Uh, they're obviously rolling now. You, like we said, they're playing mostly CAA opponents right now, so it's a bit misleading. But I think JMU is clicking just because you, you look at the way that the team is hitting right now. You have uh, Kate Gordon, uh, Taylor Newton, uh, Megan Good, Odyssey Alexander. I mean, those, just those four right in the middle, all of them have been battling uh, for that home run RBI lead uh, throughout the season, and they've really come along here in the last month hitting-wise. But I think the pitching is, is the big thing here is when JMU is pitching well, you know, the offense is going to is going to score some runs. There's no no disputing that. Uh, it's really just kind of up to whether the pitching is on, because, I mean, I've seen Odyssey come out there and, and put together near no hitters. And I've also seen her, uh, you know, in the later innings have to be subbed out because she's letting her rise ball. Uh, it, it's not rising as much as she wants it to. And it's staying in the middle of the zone. Uh, and that allows for some home runs. She did allow 29 or 20 home runs this year. Uh, after 29 last year. So she is susceptible to the long ball. And I think that's the most important thing is, you know, when she gets into the later innings, I've definitely seen that happen from her. 
so I think with her being a little more fresh, there's less of a chance of her giving up home runs. Megan's obviously clicking, and if they really need to give them a change of pace, it's Peyton uh, who can come in and kind of give the opposing batters a different look. Definitely, yeah. Pitching is going to be a huge deal. Jack, do you have anything to, to add to that? Um, that's a really good question. Man, I, I think I have something to add every time, and then Matt just hits on <laughs> – Every nail. Well, I have been color commentating, you know, along the great Kurt Dudley all year. It's been, uh, yes. <laughs> he's, he's definitely filled me in on a few things and I've been able to watch the team firsthand. I mean, obviously Jack, you were working in athletics communications. You've seen them and Bennett who has been texting me during several broadcasts. I mean, you all are there, <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, it's being able to watch this team. It's, it's very, really, really good. I mean, this is a, a ball club that, I don't want to say is better than the one that made it to the super regionals just a few years ago. Um, But, you know, with, I I think the ceiling is just as high, you know, I would say that the floor has been maybe a little lower at times Mm -hmm. uh, when we've seen them struggle, especially like we said early on, but I think overall, you know, this team, if, if everybody's clicking, whether it's the pitching staff, whether it's the defense, whether it's the hitting, I mean, you know, we, we're going to see some outstanding performances out of this team in the playoffs. I'm sure of that. What worries me with this team though, is those, we talked about it, I think, two pods ago me and Bennett Bennett and I one of the two um where it's kind of (laughs) there's these games where you're kind of less scratching your head where their bats don't really come alive their pitching kind of struggles I mean it was the Elon game in the second of the two in the doubleheader back um at the end of March was their lone home loss and then you look at the Virginia Tech game where they lost 12 zip I mean Bennett and Matt both kind of do you do you see that being an actual problem, or do you think those two just games they laid an egg, or or do you think this potentially could have some carryover when they're facing good pitching staffs in in potentially Michigan and St. Francis and DePaul? Yeah, I mean, I think there's this is kind of one of those lame answers <laughs> where it's like you know when those it's like the kids are eighteen to twenty two, so when they play that many games, you know they're bound to have bad ones. But I think. <laughs> to a certain extent, that's that's kind of true. When you've got college kids kind of playing in the middle of the week, um, there's there's bound to be the occasional letdown. For me, the big thing is I think this is the best offense they've ever had from what I've seen. My concern is that the team in 2017 that had a really similar uh, path, the 2017 team thought they were going to get a seed, didn't get a seed. They played Baylor, the number 15 seed on the road, which is a very similar situation to what they're in yeah. now. Uh, JMU had scored 30 runs in three Mercy Rule CA tournament wins in those three games. They scored 33 and three Mercy Rule wins this year in the conference tournament. So looking very similar. And then they went out, they scored nine runs across four games in the regional and ended up losing. So my concern is just how well the bats translate consistently to this series and going up against Michigan. Because we've seen, like Jack said, we've seen sort of the highs of this team. Then you have other games where they play Virginia Tech, they get Mercy Rule and they don't score. So I don't think that that's necessarily the norm, but I will say that Jamie's offense is something that I am looking for. I want to make sure that they're able to score consistently because I do think DePaul and St. Francis, they can score against them. It's just what can they do against Michigan? The first time they played, you know, they didn't score any runs until the ninth inning. Yeah. Obviously their pitching was on, their pitching was great. And like Matt said, if, if Jamie's pitching's on, they've got a really good chance to advance and do some good things. Um, but if it's not completely on, are the bats going to be there the whole game or are they going to have another sort of slow regional at the plate. So that's one of one of my concerns. But I'm not too worried about the Elon loss or the Virginia Tech loss just because they've had so many good performances in between those losses that I think you're bound to have 
the occasional bad game. Yeah, I mean, they're on yeah. a 19-game win streak after the Virginia right. Tech game. If you look at that Elon game, too, I mean, is a team that relies on the home run. 93 homers this season. Uh, and this is a game – I mean, that's more than a home run per game. And in, in this particular one, JMU didn't leave the yard, which obviously is pretty rare. So, you know, I, I think it was just kind of – you know, it was the second game of a doubleheader. Uh, Elise Walton, the starter for Elon, had her best start of the season, allowing two earned runs in seven innings. Um, she did have five walks, so JMU really wasn't able to take advantage of those. Um, but ended up forcing her to throw 141 pitches in those seven innings. So it was certainly like – not exactly, you know, it made her work. Uh, and Megan Good, you know, didn't really have her best start uh, in that time. She allowed five runs. Only three were earned. But, you know, at the same time with three walks there, she was still getting her legs set. I mean, at that point, she was seven and five on the season, taking the loss there uh, and obviously finished out strong. I think overall, you know, JMU just kind of had to get get going. Um, you know, 18 and six at that time, it was only its second CAA com- contest at that time. Nobody really knew, you know, just how good JMU was going to be relative to the rest of the conference. So uh, Elon probably had a little bit more confidence than maybe some other teams would have down the line. Once, you know, you look at JMU's conference record, you're like, oh, 20 and one. Well, I don't know, really know how we're going to do uh, this weekend. Uh, so, you know, overall, uh, I'm not super worried about either of those losses. Um, I think really the thing is, is can JMU hit the home run. I mean, like I said, 93 this season, Michigan as a team has allowed just 16 uh, overall. That is fewer than Odyssey Alexander by herself. Uh, So that's been a real big area for Michigan uh, is keeping the ball in the yard. And, you know, that's something going to have to give there with how well JMU's hit homers versus how well Michigan has held them. Uh, I really don't know, you know, which side is going to give in that, that regard. Yeah, that's a really good thing to keep an eye on. There were a couple of Jamie losses, too. They lost to Arizona and Arizona State. They had late leads in both those games. So they went up 5-4 in Arizona, going into the bottom of the seventh on the road. An error ended up making that game tied at 5-5. They ended up losing on a walk-off home run. Arizona State, very similar situation where Jamie led uh, 4-2 going into the bottom half of the seventh. They gave up two home runs, one to tie the game and then one to win the game for Arizona State. So I think the home runs on both sides, like Matt mentioned, especially with Michigan allowing so few home runs, that's a huge thing to watch. Um, If JMU is able to sort of stick to what it's done all year and hit home runs, they'll have a great shot of getting out of the regional. If they're not able to do that and they have to sort of scrap together these long rallies and innings, they're not – not that they're not built to do that because pretty much everyone in the lineup hits 300 or so, Um, but it's it's certainly not really what they're looking for. They're trying to take the ball – out of the yard and hit extra base hits and get quick runs. Yeah, without a doubt. Looking ahead to the games that they're going to be playing, I mean, we've talked a lot of what ifs, how they can win. Do you think there's a player on this lineup that is going to have themselves a really good regional? And it's a name that we might not think of, like maybe a player off the bench and a pinch running, a pinch hitting role, or do you think maybe – someone in the mid to lower part of the, the order, maybe like a Kirsten Roadcap, all of a sudden finds their stride. Do you think there's that quote-unquote X factor going to show their head in this regional? Well, I think this could be seen as a coming out party for Logan Newton. Uh, I think I said Taylor Newton earlier in the podcast. Uh, Logan, obviously her younger sister, uh, carrying on the Newton legacy uh, <laughs> in, the, in the program. Uh, she's really come out this year, you know, had an outstanding season. She hit just 188 uh, in 16 appearances last or 16 at bats last year, 
now hitting 427, Jeez. obviously 10 home runs, 45 RBIs. I mean, she doesn't really get talked about as, you know, the face of JMU. And I think a part of that is, you know, the presence of, of Megan Good, uh, Hannah File, uh, you know, even Kirsten Roadcat, players who have kind of been around for a little bit longer. Uh, Kate Gordon, another one, uh, in addition to Odyssey. I mean, there's just so many names in this lineup. I mean, you look up and down it, there really isn't a hole uh, anywhere. And I think Newton is a big part of that because she's kind of come in in a role where she wasn't expected really to, you know, carry a load offensively. I mean, obviously nobody was really expecting JMU's offense to come alive like it did this year, just so deeply. Uh, and, and Logan Newton's a big part of that. So, you know, we're, we're going to come to the series talking about Megan, talking about Kate Gordon, but I'm really looking at, at Newton because she's really come into her own. She's only a sophomore, so she's still got two more years ahead of her. Uh, and I think, you know, once, you know, Megan was the only senior on the team this year. So the team is going to have to have a new face next year. And I think Logan, even though she's not a pitcher, so you don't see her as much. Uh, I think she could be one of those big faces that kind of takes Megan's spot when she leaves the program. Yeah, that's a really good point. And another interesting little tidbit is when these teams played earlier this season, the lineup for Jamie was a lot different. So Sarah Jubas and Cambry Arnold were both at the top of the lineup. They're sort of shifted to the bottom half now. Hannah File was in the middle. She's been leading off a lot. And Taylor Newton didn't even play. Or Logan Newton. Taylor Newton obviously <laughs> didn't play because she's no longer on the roster. I fell into the same trap. But Logan Newton did not play either. So neither of the sisters played. But I think that's something that Michigan hasn't seen. Um, they'll be able to look at tape from the end of the season. But there's stuff like that that I think is really advantageous for JMU, knowing that Megan Good threw five pitches the first time Michigan saw them. Logan Newton didn't play. The lineup looks completely different, and players are playing a lot better. I think Sarah Jubis is kind of coming into her own. Mm-hmm. Cambry Arnold has been solid. And then Madison Niokas has really stepped up this season as well. So I think that the bottom of the lineup is huge and worth watching. And, yeah, I think Logan Newton is a great name to pick as sort of that breakout person because her stats, if she had played a full season, are right on <coughs> par with some of the, the best on the team. And they even really are some of the best on the team right now. But she didn't play that full season, and she's probably – the name that comes up maybe the least when you look at this lineup, everyone talks about Odyssey, like Matt said, Megan good, of course, is going to draw headlines, Kate Gordon, but Logan Newton can really play and she does not get a lot of press. So she's definitely somebody to watch. Jack, do you have a, a name in mind? You, I really want to see Kirsten Roadcap kind of pop off. I mean, she's been great behind the plate, but batting 268. I mean, I think she's she's kept her spot in the lineup due to her fantastic defense. I just want to see her bat come alive. There's been so many times in these games that I've watched this season that it's some huge inning they're having and Kirsten comes up and strikes out or flies out or something, and it just kind of seems to put a damper on it. I think it's big for her if at the bottom of the lineup can kind of get her bat going and getting a couple hits maybe a couple extra base hits, but I won't get greedy. Just a couple of hits on the season. She's batting. Yeah. Like I said, 268. I mean, nothing jumps off with her stats, a slugging percentage at 463 on base percentage at 355. I want to see Kirsten Roadcap find her, find her bat. Yeah. It's definitely a good name as well. Someone to keep an eye on for sure. And also, Maybe Taylor Newton. Who knows? Maybe she comes out <laughs> after graduation. We've mentioned her a few times. Maybe she's in the watch. Maybe she's one of our 24 listeners. <laughs> she could be. Maybe. And she's like, That'd be man. Huge. Probably thrilled by all the mentions today. 
So what do you guys think in terms of the likelihood that JMU moves on? And I'll, I'll share my thoughts in a little bit. I did some research on DePaul and St. Francis, um, which I can share in a little bit. But what do you guys think the likelihood is that, that JMU moves out of this regional? Matt, you got this first. I want, I want you to say everything I'm thinking right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I think it's going to come down to you know, whether they can beat Michigan. Uh, I think this is a team certainly capable of it. JMU did it earlier this year with a lineup that wasn't clicking as well. And like you said, Megan Good threw just five pitches in that game. She's certainly going to be starting against Michigan if they can line that up right now. Uh, you know, whether it's her or Odyssey, you know, somebody, one of those two will be starting that game. And uh, I'm, I'm not super worried, I would say, about JMU moving on. I mean, a lot of people, like you've pointed out, guys, on Twitter, uh, you know, JMU stacks up just as well uh, RPI-wise as Michigan, if not better. Uh, in terms of the opponents they've played, where they stand in the rankings, all that kind of stuff. So I, I'm confident JMU can move on. Uh, now, getting past UCLA, that's going to be a different story. Um, you know, they're obviously one of the best teams in the country, 46-5 and five this year. Um, our Super Regionals are hosted by the higher seed, right? So UCLA would be hosting yeah. that, am I correct? Yeah, you're yeah. Yep. So going into UCLA, it's going to be tough. JMU would have to adjust to West Coast time, uh, you know, obviously have the long flight. That kind of thing is, is taxing. I mean, obviously the school year is over, so JMU players aren't having to worry necessarily about, uh, you know, whether you know, to go back and do classes or do homework. They can focus solely on softball. Um, but, you know, if JMU does get past UCLA, which is a big if, you know, they're in a, a good spot there. Uh, you know, the top two other teams in our, their side of the bracket are Minnesota and LSU, who don't exactly stand out as huge threats. You know, Minnesota, seven seed, JMU played uh, earlier this season. Um and LSU a 10 seed. So if JMU gets past UCLA, I think we're in for a special season. I think that really is the big if. If JMU doesn't even make it there, I would be surprised. If JMU makes it past there, I'd be surprised. But if they did, I think this could be a magical year for JMU. It's just really a question of can the Dukes get past UCLA? And I'm not confident to say yes in that, but I think that, like we said earlier, the ceiling for this team is so high that they're certainly going to be competitive. I actually, I'm glad you didn't say anything I was thinking. I don't think JMU <laughs> can get out of this region. I mean, I've been looking at the stats. I, I made uh, some graphics for Bennett and his piece that'll be coming out, but also just kind of poking around the stats. JMU kind of stacks up better than Michigan in a lot of statistical categories. However, I, you just take that with a grain of salt. JMU's been playing CAA opponents. Michigan's been playing, what, Big Ten opponents? Are they Big Ten or Big mm-hmm. 12? So big 10 opponents, so a little bit tougher. Uh, And Michigan, what I just keep coming back to is they are undefeated at home, and home field advantage is big. I mean, JMU is a different animal when they're at Veterans Memorial Park, so I can only imagine what Michigan's like when they're up there at Ann Arbor. And then if they do get out of this region, I think it's going to be even more difficult and even less likely that they can make it past UCLA. I mean – Talk about frequent flyer miles. They're going to have to Ann Arbor, back to Harrisonburg, back to L.A. I mean, that's a lot of flight, a lot of travel. That's, that's going to be hard to overcome, let alone trying to overcome the Bruins. So I think it's going to be tough for JMU to get out of the regionals. I think it's almost impossible to get out of super regionals. I think it's a tough draw for them, but maybe out of the region, but I, I just don't see it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely going to be challenging. I'll say it's like, 50-50 for me that they get out of the regional. Um, and if they do go to UCLA and the season ends at UCLA, there are worse places to have your season <laughs> in than Los Angeles. So that would be a positive. But I do think that it's kind of 50-50, at least for me, this weekend, just because I think 
Michigan's a solid team. They're good at home. One thing that I do think is solid for, for JMU is that Michigan's two best pitchers, they're a sophomore and a freshman. So there's a lot of inexperience in this, this Michigan lineup and also in the circle. Um, the bad news is that Michigan's head coach is in her 35th season, I believe, <laughs> and she's the winningest coach in NCAA softball history. Easy, easy. So uh, Coach Laporte has some, some challenging coaching battles ahead. Um, so I think that's definitely a challenge. But it should be evenly matched. Both teams are really good. I think Michigan's solid. I think JMU is solid. I mean, I think it's going to be really exciting. And I also did dig into the numbers of DePaul and St. Francis. There is no chance that either of those teams advance. I feel comfortable saying that. St. <laughs> Fran- Francis has 66 home runs, which led their conference, I think, by 20. Wow. But their team ERA, this is a good one, is 5.4. Oof. Huh? So that's not great. <laughs> they give up quite a lot of runs. Wow. That's um, not good. I think they're the worst worst fielding team in their conference too so sorry i'll I'll keep my commentary to the side for a little bit no (laughs) no it was it was definitely surprising so i think they spent most of their time sort of playing like home run derby at practice and they might need to work a little more in the circle um but it's going to be tough too just playing on the road for jmu in this regional i think 46 of the last uh, 48 seeded teams have advanced to the super regional no teams in the last two seasons Unseeded teams have advanced to a super regional, so JMU would certainly be bucking a trend. But if any team is going to do it, I think JMU is the team, the unseeded team this year that that does have that chance. But I'll stick it at 50-50, so I'll go kind of in between what you guys were saying and say that there's a toss-up. <laughs> Flip a coin. Classic, classic. Can't pick yes. a side. Wow. Exactly. I like it. Well, I like it is, keep it, keep a, keep it is worth mentioning, under Laporte, JMU is 5-5 five and five against ranked opponents at the time of, of playing, so... You know, this is where you're coming at 50-50. It fits right in with uh, Laporte's track record. Obviously, she's in her second year. Mickey Dean has been, you know, he built the, the, the roster that JMU has and has led JMU into its deepest parts of the NCAA tournament that it's ever had. Uh, so Laporte obviously, you know, doesn't have the track record, uh, like you said, clearly not of Michigan's coach. Um, but that's that's another area, too, I think that's important. You know, I, I like Laporte. Um, you know, I've, I've talked to her a couple of times about her strategy. Uh, she's not a, a, a team who's going to shift uh, or anything like that. I mean, she I wouldn't say that she goes, you know, the, the extra mile um, in that regard. But she, you know, uses her pitchers really smart. Uh, she has a great lineup and, and, and does a good job of putting uh, a couple of hitters at the bottom of the order to, to bring it back around who, you know, can turn the lineup over, have some speed. Uh, so, you know, I haven't, you know, softball is a little bit easier to manage than baseball because you can bring players back in after you've taken them out. Uh, so that certainly helps. They'll bring in pinch runners a lot for Megan, uh, you know, just to, to try and scrape an extra runner across. And they have the players to do it. They've got a couple of players on the bench uh, who have played roles such as that. Uh, to, to come in as a pinch runner um, or pinch fielder in some cases. So, you know, I'm, I, I do like Laporte. Uh, I, we just have, she's a little bit unproven. So that, that's, that's another aspect that I think uh, needs to be looked at coming into this series. Definitely. I think those were all great answers. And I think mine is the safest because if they win, I can say <laughs> see, 50, 50. If they lose, I can also say 50, 50. <laughs> so I will get the glory either way. I'm really good about that. So one of the questions we had that I think is interesting is there's this idea that JMU not getting the seed sort of gives them a chip on the shoulder. I love that. Do you guys think I love that? Do you, do you think that lasts a whole week? 
Like, does that stay? <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I don't think that lasts more than two hours. I think they got the selection. Yeah. They said, oh, shucks, we didn't get a seed. And they're like, okay. Like, the next day at practice, they they don't – they're like, okay, we're playing Michigan. We're playing St. Francis. We're playing DePaul. Like, right. I, I, I understand it because, like, I mean, writing for sports and being around sports, I know I've said it so many times where I'm like, oh, this is the chip on their shoulder, exactly what they need. <laughs> this is a push in the right direction. But I think once that first pitch happens, I don't think it matters. But at the same time, Jack, you got to think that, you know, obviously there's a week in between the selection and when they actually, you know, go out there. But you're not going to think that when when Megan Good is sitting on a plane and her neck starts to hurt because she's been sitting in the same position for over an hour and she kind of cranes out, and looks out the window for a second. She's not going to think, man. I wish I was back in Harrisonburg right now. Or when they're getting to a hotel and Kate Gordon forgot her toothbrush and she's got to run over to the local drugstore to go get one. She's not thinking, damn, it'd be nice to be at my apartment right now. You know, those those are things that happen. Those are things that go through players' heads. And while I might be exaggerating just a little bit, I do think it's still something I wouldn't I wouldn't call it a major factor, but I think it's definitely going to be on the minds of a couple of players, you know, when they're. They're sitting in the dugout and they're not getting the, the usual cheers that they're used to hearing uh, from their home crowd. Uh, you know, the Ann Arbor faithful standing up and, and cheering when Megan Good gives up a surprise home run. I mean, that kind of thing. That's that's those are those are real factors. Uh, you know, there's a human element to this. Uh, and, you know, these are competitors and these are people who, uh, you know, have gone up, grown up their entire lives being around athletics, uh, being around sports. And what that that does to a person, it makes them just more emotionally driven in a lot of ways because games like, like softball require so much emotion to succeed that it fuels them. It fuels their competitive spirit. It fuels uh, their play on the field. And I think that, you know, something where they get slighted, a lot of athletes take something like that personally. So, you know, you might dismiss it, but I, I, I think it does have a factor. Here. So do you think if they can get out of the regional – that it has enough of a factor to take down the number two team in the country. No, no. At that point, it's it's, <laughs> so you it's think, gone. So when it when but it's I a think close in terms matchup, of like JMU Michigan, where the stats you, you can't tell the teams apart in just pure stats, you think it comes down to the emotional level of it. JMU has that edge because they were they they got it. I mean, I mean they didn't get a seed, but do you think it also plays into uh, plays into? I can't talk. Wow, plays a role with Michigan because. <laughs> If I'm not mistaken, Michigan beat Minnesota in the Big Ten Championship, but Minnesota's a higher seed than they are. Mm -hmm. So, like, I I feel like it it also goes both ways. And if you look at any team's schedule so deep enough, you can find any chip on the shoulder from anywhere. I mean, I I feel like Alabama in football every year talks about the chip on their shoulder because they're not respected enough, but we all know they're the best team in the country. Or is that – Nick Saban's just a liar. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, you're, you're not wrong about that. You could look anywhere um, and, and find a chip on the shoulder. I mean, maybe Alex Draco, who made the start for Michigan against JMU, took the loss. She pitched eight and a third, gave up two earned runs in that, uh, had to throw 127 pitches in a losing effort. Maybe she has that chip on her shoulder, and she's, you know, she's looking back at that start saying, you know, this is my revenge game coming into it. Sure, that, that's, that's certainly possible, uh, you know, but I think at the same time, Jamie's going to look at Michigan as a team that was picked right over them. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, being a 15 seed and JMU being probably the top uh, unranked team in this entire field, if maybe, you know, maybe one of the top two or three teams in that regard, you know, Jamie was looking at Michigan saying, you know, wow, they picked this team over us. Let's show them that they were wrong. And that's, that's recent enough. I mean, you know, a week, 
as opposed to, you know, a game that happened back in March, those are two very different time frames. So I think it's, it's still going to leave a sour taste in their mouths. I mean, we saw it with Jamie football, uh, you know, getting left out of uh, a, a being a seeded team this past season. Obviously, JMU didn't go on to win anything. Uh, but, you know, JMU all week, that, that week leading up to the postseason, having to play that first game when they thought they would get a bye, you know, that was that was the narrative. I mean, it was something that Houston was talking about. It was something the players were talking about. It was definitely on their minds, and I think it's something that, that holds true here for softball. All right, I see yeah, your I point. That... I won't concede, but I see your point. <laughs> fair enough, I'll fair go enough. In, I'll go in the middle of you guys. <laughs> oh, my I, God. <laughs> I definitely think there will be some sort of chip. Um, I don't know if it's the same level as the football chip. Hopefully, Megan Good doesn't toss five interceptions or get well, five too runs too in this one, but <laughs> I guess we'll see. No, I think there's going to be some anger, but I also think there's definitely a little bit of like you know calming down. And I don't know if they'll take that anger out on DePaul in the first game, where they'll just kill DePaul and like mercy roll them. But <laughs> there's definitely a chance they do that even without a chip on their shoulder. To right. Be <laughs> right. I, I think it happens yeah, so no I, matter what. I do too. I think they'll have a good chance to to play well this week. And I think there will definitely be a little extra motivation. I also think there's, there's some fans that are definitely overblowing the chip on the shoulder where Megan Good's going to go there with her hair, like literally lit on fire, just like striking people out, yelling at people and, and screaming. I don't think they'll like change the way they play or be like overly emotional and run rule everyone. But I think there's probably, probably a little anger. And I, I think Kate Gordon is going to be pretty upset when she does forget her toothbrush. <laughs> and have to I'm go to the local CVS. all right what else we got in this outline here uh so we just had a uh, so i tweeted right before this podcast um like this is live do we actually get a question yeah we actually got a a question this is from chicago dukes um well it's at chicago duke (laughs) one his name is dukes and his question is would love to hear your thoughts on who should be in the circle on game one. I think it's a two-parter for that first part. I think we kind of answered that, but we'll go into that a little bit more. And their strategy involved. Oh, this is a three-parter. My fault. So who gets to start in game one? Strategy. And do we think the Dukes are playing with a chip <laughs> on their shoulder after being snubbed <laughs> for a regional? Well, we just answered the chip on their shoulder for that. So... Uh, Matt, your thoughts first. Who starts game one and what's the strategy? Uh, I I mean, you have to look at this as a two-sided coin here. You know, you obviously – the first objective here is get the win. Uh, You know, you're you're playing a team that that on paper appears to be inferior, and you think, okay, maybe if I don't throw our best starter out there, we win this game, Michigan wins its first game, and, you know, JMU goes on to play Michigan in the second game of the series – you want Megan Good starting that game, right? So would you not pitch uh, her in game one so that she's fresh for game two? I don't know. I think what they might do is start Odyssey, uh, who obviously won CAA Pitcher of the Year, certainly capable uh, of doing uh, you know, well in this game. And then if she runs into trouble, you bring in Megan in relief where she doesn't have to throw too many pitches and can still start game two. Softball is a different game than baseball. You can start multiple games, throw over 100 pitches. You know, it's not going to be really the end of the world given the, the way you know, there's less stress on the arm with the underhand throw. So you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they went with Odyssey for game one. Um, but I could also see Laporte going Megan uh, just because she's like, I want to get that win. Uh, but that does limit limit you for game two. And then maybe you go into game two, you start Odyssey. And if she struggles, you go quick hook with Megan there uh, to finish things out. So I, if I had to put money on it, 
I would go with Megan starting game one just because I think Laporte is going to play it traditional, go for the win, and and you know worry about the rest later. But uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if she went Odyssey. I think it'd be a savvy move. Bennett, your thoughts on it? So assuming game one means DePaul, yes, right? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. That's okay. what I assume game one means too. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So for me, game one, I think she's going to go Odyssey. Yeah. I think she should. Um, I actually like the Odyssey move, so I'll say she should go Odyssey too. I think that. The rationale behind it is that she's done that a ton this year to open different series or whatever. She's leaned on Odyssey. She feels pretty comfortable bringing Megan in in relief should something go wrong. So I, I kind of think there's a legitimate chance they do that. I think that uh, they go with Odyssey. If something goes wrong, they bring in Megan Good in relief. And the idea there being that I would throw Megan Good in every single game as the starter you play Michigan because you got to go down guns ablazing. I mean, you can't sort of be cautious in this regional because it's going to be quick. So for me, I think go with the strategy, go with Odyssey in game one. You're going to beat DePaul unless something very bad goes wrong. You should beat DePaul and then go with everything you have um, with Megan Good against Michigan. Although I kind of think there's a legitimate chance that Odyssey starts against Michigan just because they feel so comfortable sort of with what Odyssey does and also bringing Megan Good in relief. Um, so I wouldn't be stunned to hear that. And I know that I've just given every possible scenario for who they pitch, <laughs> but I'll, I'll say that they go with Odyssey in game one. And then I'll say Megan starts against Michigan, assuming they beat the ball. Okay. So I'm going to go right in the middle of you guys. I'm going to say that. No, <laughs> I, I agree with Peyton Burrish for game one. Yeah, Peyton Burrish every game. She gets, every um, I think in game one, they start Odyssey just because like Bennett said, she's been kind of a go-to to start series off. And also, I think Odyssey's good enough to not only be a starter at DePaul, but maybe even be a solid number two at Michigan. Like, I think Odyssey is really good, and I, I'm a big Odyssey believer. I mean, she is the number two on this team behind Megan. But I think when you go with Odyssey, you're not really losing much in terms of a good pitcher because she's just right up there with Megan. So I think Odyssey in the first game and then Megan against Michigan, Megan against Michigan for both of those games. Cause you got to beat them twice at home. Tough, tough to do strategy though, is I don't think Laporte's going to go away from what's gotten them here. I mean, they're what, what are they on the season? 20, 47 and seven on the season. I mean, you don't get there by accident. <clears throat> so I think Laporte's going to kind of stick to her gun, stick to what she knows too. And Odyssey gets start game one. I like it. That sounds accurate. All we know is that <laughs> Matt is us. very wrong. Very wrong, Matt. What are you doing? Get off this podcast. <laughs> Do we think that Kate Gordon gets the start and in the lineup, or do we think that her losing her toothbrush throws her off? Do we think they bring her into a pinch hit roll? That was my, that was the best hypothetical we've ever had on the pod. I'm honored. I'm really uh, honored. He said, now I know this might be a little extreme, but <laughs> what if Kate loses her toothbrush? I also love the idea of Megan Good, one of the calmest people I've ever seen, just like furious on the plane because her, her like neck's out of whack. And she, just Looks out. Of I could see it. I could see him being motivated, motivated by the the travel as well. I don't know about. I, I I don't know. I just I say it all the time about how I love chips on the shoulder. I mean, I remember you're big into chips. Big, but, that's very true. But but looking back, I'm also like uh, maybe not. I mean, it didn't really work against Colgate for JMU football. <laughs> kind of did the exact opposite. Yeah. Five oh, interceptions. How does football come up into a softball only podcast? Let me know. 
Classic. This football comes up in every JMU conversation, it feels like. That's very true. Very true. It really does. It really does. And, you know, anytime you turn the ball over five times, if they make five pitching changes in that game against Michigan, it could hurt them. JMU definitely forgot its toothbrush in the Colgate game. I oh, probably yes. forgot my use- toothbrush at that when I went using up there. Crest. Jeez. Using Crest. Hey, I only use Crest. After we've lost to Colgate, my our my freshman and senior year, um, I refuse to use Colgate. Man, Crest is that trash toothpaste the dentist gives you after you tell them. Four out of five dentists recommend. I'm sorry that I care about my molars. <laughs> Colgate is a better. Toothpaste. Whoa, 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 whoa! It definitely is. It definitely. We is. need to get this Colgate propaganda off of the podcast because it is despicable. <laughs> I saw some guy going back to a little off-topic Colgate. I saw some Colgate fan getting mad at, like, Craig Haley about his quarterbacks to watch <laughs> next season. He's like, where's Grant, Grant Brenneman? He threw six touchdowns last year. Like, you're going to include that guy in quarterbacks to watch? Anyway, <laughs> we'll stop going off on Colgate. What else do we have? Do we think that JMU would benefit – this is probably an obvious question – would benefit in the future from playing in a different softball conference yes. if they were to hypothetically move up? Do we think that would get them sort of better seating privileges? So to I speak? think moving out of the CAA will benefit JMU in every single sport. I mean, look what happened to women's basketball. Matt, your opinion? Um, I guess it's just a question of what JMU do it. And, you know, I've, I've covered this, this particular angle a couple times to the breeze uh, and it seems that JMU's public, uh, you know, message is that it's open to an invitation, but it hasn't received one, and it doesn't look like it's receiving one anyone anytime soon. Um, but it's it's a huge financial, uh, some huge financial implications. I mean, that's full scholarships across the board uh, for all the sports that it has, and you know, not just that. I mean, Jack and I actually did the, the, the sport con class he was talking about. We did a documentary on. Uh, JMU athletic or not JMU athletics college athletics. Yeah, uh, we did. And, you know what the impl- what the implications <laughs> of paying players at the D one level would have, which uh, JMU probably wouldn't be affected unless it did move into one of those conferences, which it could uh, be affected at that point. But I think uh, a big takeaway that I had from that project was that college athletics doesn't make money. JMU athletics does not make money. Uh, and it's almost, it's seen as a marketing tool for a lot of universities. I mean, unless you're, you're Alabama, you're LSU, you know, you're one of those Southern schools, you know, mostly in the SEC, some ACC schools, you're not going to be making a whole lot of money off, off of athletics. And so you have to look at it as a marketing standpoint, would be moving to the ACC be huge for the university, uh, big enough marketing wise uh, that it would benefit them enough to move. And I don't think it would because JMU is not built to bring in more students uh, in, you know, a 20,000 student school in the ACC. It's not, it wouldn't be the only one, but at the same time, you know, why would you spend so much more on marketing if you're not planning on bringing in a lot more students to offset some of those costs? Uh, so JMU would have to, you know, have a lot of different things in the works there in terms of new dorms being built uh, new facilities. I mean, obviously, there's a ton of construction on campus, but True. as Jonathan Alger has pointed out multiple times, he's not building for expansion. JMU is not doing all these construction projects for expansion. They're doing it for making the college experience better for the students who are already enrolled. Uh, that's not why us. most of these projects, you know, not us, but you know, the, the, most of these projects are two-year, three-year projects where you know, once the construction's up, it's it's there. They're not, you know, buying more land and expanding out. Now, the, the JMU Foundation does have some 
plots of land around the university that it hasn't technically sold to the university. Jamie Foundation is a nonprofit built solely or is a company solely made to buy property and then hold it until Jamie wants it. And Jamie Foundation has quite a bit of property around the area, but Jamie <laughs> has not purchased it from the Jamie Foundation. What? That's a thing. Yeah, that that is a thing. And uh, it's it's a tax. It's for tax reasons. I'm not really 100 uh, percent solid on the numbers there. Um, but JMU, because it could buy it at any time, doesn't have to pay taxes on that because a nonprofit owns the land. So the nonprofit doesn't have to pay as many taxes and JMU can just kind of hold the land there until it wants it, um, in which case it starts using it and then it's worth paying the taxes for it. So, But JMU hasn't done that and it's just holding a lot of that land uh, and doesn't seem to have any plans in the near future for moving outward. So going back to your original question, uh, <laughs> would this help softball? Uh, yes. I just really don't see it happening anytime in the near future. So I think that, you know, that's, that's something that we'd have to be looking at at least maybe like 10, 15 years down the line at, at the very earliest, rather than, you know, five to 10 years down the line. Yeah. And that's, that's definitely some really good points there. And I was going to warn you before the answer to make sure that you were really careful about what you said. So we don't have an 8 a.m. ice house <laughs> meeting. <laughs> oh, this man. Friday, but you, you did a <laughs> solid job there. So I, I think we're okay. Thank God. But, no, I think it's I think it's definitely interesting because there's so much that goes into it other than just like how would it benefit sports. I think on the flip side for the marketing tactic, JMU is certainly a school that has so much love from its alumni, but maybe mm-hmm. not sort of the level of donations that they want. So I do think moving up could be beneficial there, just getting sort of the university out there more. Um, not necessarily for an expansion standpoint, but just for for getting some more money in. So there's there's definitely some some potential there, but I agree that I think it's a little a little ways off, and certainly you need an invitation. You can't just be like, "We're joining the SEC tomorrow." <laughs> yeah, that's obviously not <laughs> not how it works. So yeah, so we'll see how that goes. But yeah, in terms of softball, it would certainly be beneficial to not have to play, you know, Hofstra and and Towson and all those teams. But I guess we'll sort of see how the future goes with that. And I think, do we have anything else? Do we have any other Twitter questions or? No. It appears not. No, there's only no. that one. Um, thank you, Chicago Dukes one. We appreciate yes. finding yeah. a tweet that we asked for questions, getting questions back. Um, Bennett, you're going to be posting something on jamiesportsnews.com here soon, right? Yes, yes. I have a long preview of the softball regional that I have been writing, so everybody tune in. I'll try to post that like Wednesday morning. I don't know when people are listening to this, but it should be sort of a similar time frame of when that's posted and when the podcast is up. So you can listen to the podcast, you can read the article, and just be overwhelmed with softball knowledge. Good. I, that's all I wanted in life right now is just to be overwhelmed with softball facts. Anytime you can overwhelm your readers and viewers, you're exactly. doing when they right. just can't even <laughs> contain it anymore, and they exit out. That's how you know you did well. right. Bounce rate is really <laughs> what I'm looking for. Definitely. <laughs> yes, I think that's basically it. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining us and stealing most of our thoughts until the end. When I don't think any of us were thinking the lost toothbrush. <laughs> so that was that was really original yeah well since i was stealing some of your thoughts i had to find something you know that that really made right. me stand out so you know that i just I kind of pulled that out of my ass there a little bit uh that definitely did that gives it. us a that gives us a great teaser when we tweet this out we can be like learn about <laughs> gordon's toothbrush situation <laughs> how does a toothbrush play a factor in the right. Michigan series <laughs> Tune in to because it does <laughs> we're gonna bump up from 24 listeners to 30 Oh, yeah. And there, 
It's gonna be six dentists. We're going. I was gonna say they're all gonna be from Colgate. Yeah, the ta- the <laughs> tag on are gonna be Crest, Colgate, and Oral B. <laughs> Oral B, often forgotten toothpaste brand. I think they're just underrated toothbrush brand. Are they? I don't, I don't even know. know. I don't know. Well, and potential sponsor of the pod. Oh, we, <laughs> we haven't done those. all your toothbrush needs. We haven't done those dumb um, <laughs> plugs in a long time. Remember when we would always plug Hilton? And ESPN Plus, oh, those, those, those. ESPN Plus, I really thought for a while that we were going to have locked into like a, yeah, uh, you know, a four-year, seven-figure deal. We won't <laughs> tell you what the seven figures are, but <laughs> that sounds really similar to Flow Sports. Yeah. Oh. Oh wow. Flow Sports. Oh yeah. Well, be sure to follow us if you aren't already. I don't know how you found this podcast if you aren't already following us at JMU Sports News. Go to www.jmusportsnews.com to get all the latest um, articles and happenings. Follow Matt Weirich at on Twitter at Matt, W-E-Y-R-I-C-H. Did I spell that right? You did spell that right. Congratulations. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. I wrote it enough <laughs> on our, docu- our 30 for 30 documentary. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, that's all we got. If you guys have anything that we did wrong or you didn't want to hear you completely disagree with the type of toothbrush kate gordon uses and or if she'll forget it you can tweet us with all of everything that you ever thought of and we will maybe respond to it we probably will because we don't have much interaction um (laughs) yeah so for everyone on this podcast see ya For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.